Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with Calcaterra. So my guest today is a guy I met at a Super Bowl party. Well, not really a Super Bowl party. Uh, the game was on in the background. It was uh, it was called Arcade Bowl, and uh, it was more of a, a video game event during the Super Bowl. And this was the creation of uh, my buddy Jeremy Correa, who created the masterpiece Cockmasters, which you can find on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Um, Steven at the time was a copywriter at a big company, and, and we hit it off. He's just talking. He had a lot of common interests, media, movies, things of that nature. And he, uh, coincidentally, he fabricated the action figures for Cockmasters. A super creative guy, very compassionate, as you'll you'll find out here in the conversation. And uh, at the time, like I stated, he was a copywriter, and we talked about some different projects. And eventually, he decided to move on. He wanted to do better things in the world, just just wasn't fulfilled. You'll hear about that as you listen. And uh, decided to go back to school at Webster University to become a therapist. And so during that time, he uh, discovered art. And uh, now he's a full-time artist. Just an amazing guy, amazing guy. And... I feel this conversation, it, it started out, we were talking about art, and then it kind of turned into a, a deeper conversation concerning his degree and, and the ways we both work to uh, improve ourselves, what we've learned over the years. And, and I feel it, it was very, uh, very helpful and therapeutic in its own right. And, and the guy's artwork, it just, it blows me away. It's, it's very colorful, uh, a bit abstract, and just amazing, focusing on pop culture and sports, I, I can't encourage you enough to go to his website at stephenwalden.com and check it out for yourself. Um, when you see it, you're going to be, you'll be amazed. Uh, also, he has a strong social media presence and loves to interact with people. So you can, uh, you can contact him at uh, Stephen Walden, S-T-E-V-E-N-W-A-L-D-E-N. You can find him pretty easily, but go to his website and link from there. And speaking of social media... And web presence. The show's now on iTunes, yay, and uh, on Stitcher as well. So yeah, that's that's good to have it there. Good to get it out into some different sites and get more exposure. If you like what you're hearing, uh, please go to these sites. Click a five-star rating if you feel it's worthy. Also, a review is very helpful. Uh, what this does in their algorithm, it puts it where somebody's listening to This American Life, they'll say, also listening to this. And, and it would be fantastic to have conversations with Calcaterra mentioned in the same vein as, as some of these other great shows. It'll allow more people to hear about amazing artists like Steven, and uh, it will allow me to help create more shows for a broader audience. Uh, I can't thank you listeners enough for the support, nor that of my sponsors. Also, uh, my good friend Christy Holman has been very supportive, and, and I can't thank her enough. She's She's been great over the years in my different creative projects, and, and just love her for that, and just, just an awesome friend. Thank you all for the love, and, and drop me a note on Twitter, or check out some of my work on Instagram or YouTube. You can find these links through KenCalcaterra.com. There's a lot of things happening at the end of the year, and weather was was one of those. The climate is changing, and we're seeing changing weather patterns. Massive tornadoes in Texas, record flooding throughout the Midwest. St. Louis area got hit pretty hard. Fortunately, uh, in my basement, in my studio where where I put this show together, there was only a, a little bit of water uh, trickling in. It was a minor inconvenience, but um, unless there's something that I'm missing, 
and, and it, it was a little bit more, uh, I, I think I'm okay. But you know that that's why I have flood insurance and. And to be safe, I'm going to double check on my policy as, um, you know, there's bound to be more bad weather on the horizon. So I have to make sure that uh, that I do indeed have that. And I'm not just not confusing it maybe with the earthquake insurance that I have is St. Louis. For those of you who are listening outside of the area, no, we're on the New Madrid fault line. Are, are you covered? Are you covered for your insurance needs? Uh, how are your rates? It never hurts to, to check, to be thorough, and uh, Mike Albishan is available to help you in Missouri and Illinois. He's been doing this for over 20 years, and he'll find you a competitive rate as he's working for you, not the insurance company. Why don't you give him a call today or whenever you're listening to this um, and see what type of flood insurance is available for your residence or business. Mike can be reached at 314 729 or Mike A at Premier INS Agency.com. So that's Mike A at P R E M I E R I N S A G E N C Y dot com. While we're on the subject of homes, let's talk about your electrical needs. Maybe it's a big job, uh, maybe a small job. Do you have a business that uh, that you're setting up that's in need of some electrical work, maybe it's a new building you're interested in that's not up to code. Well, no job is too big or or too small for my newest sponsor, Bob Gilmore of Gilmore Electric. Bob is a master electrician and one of the few people that I fully trust to take care of the electrical work at my house. I referred him, I've referred him many times over the years to friends and colleagues and, and everyone's been extremely happy with the quality of the work that he does and his timely service. So you can give Bob a call at 314-565-5894. I think he, he's based out of St. Louis, but he'll travel a little bit if the job is right. And uh, I know he's doing a, a big job up in Hannibal, Missouri. And uh, I, I know he'll he'll consider anything. So give him a call, chat with him, and I'm positive he'll be able to help you as he's been helping me in my electrical needs and as a, as a sponsor for the show. So I can't thank him enough. Before we go into the conversation with Stephen, I want to play you a clip from a song called Dream by Ben Sturgill. Recorded a conversation with Ben before the new year at Creative Caffeine Studio in Nashville. And, and I really look forward to introducing you to him and his music uh, sometime at the end of the month, maybe early February. I have a couple of video clips of him performing that we're going to put out. I felt the lyrics are, are very fitting for what Stephen is doing as an artist. And the vibe of the song is really good. I, I think it feels good uh, to lead into this into this conversation. Conversations with Calcaterra is hosted through SoundCloud, and I'm, I'm proud of the work my buddy Stephen Walden has done, proud of the great artwork he's creating, the charity work he's doing to help people out with his art. We'll get to his conversation after this musical interlude from Ben. I'm gonna 
So here we are with Steve Walden, artist extraordinaire. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> doing great, Ken. How are you? Fantastic. It's great to have you here. Thanks for bringing me in. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I, I love the work that you're doing, man. And it's uh, and it, it amazes me that you just started this a year ago. You're putting out this great work. The charitable aspect, you're, you know, I think part of that is is what's helping you is is you're putting out this good energy, and I see it coming back with mm -hmm. Facebook and all that, and it's it's kudos to you, man. That's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's one of the things that's been unique about my approach with art is it's been a nexus of my interest and in that you know how I discovered that I was an artist by being going through my master's program at Webster University. So it's the thing that I tell people is that, oh, I'm actually a therapist. I got my master's in, in counseling in August, yet in January of 2014 is when I took my very first art class. It was an art therapy class and picked it up, started doing it. And my classmate said, you know, you're pretty good at this. You should, you know, have other people look at your work. And I exhibited for the first time about a year ago. And since then, things have just really taken off. And, you know, in trying to figure out my audience, it's been really beneficial for me personally to partner up with charities that, you know, this art, it's not just stuff that I'm painting and then it exists, it's propped up against a wall in my house and that it's, it's actually helping other people. That's amazing. And I think your subject matter, you've really clever because in St. Louis, I mean, St. Louis is a town that's not known for art, which there's some great artists here. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things, but with sports and things of that nature, everyone loves sports. Everyone loves mm -hmm. the Cardinals, the Rams. It's, it's very much a sports town. So to be able to focus on your interpretation of that and, and your colors and everything, we'll have to post, mm -hmm. uh, we'll have to post your link where people can see your work, but very colorful, very, I guess, uh, avant-garde a little bit. It's it's really cool stuff. So very vibrant. The energy is good. And I think focusing on that aspect of what the market is going for and making it accessible is probably one of the smartest things you could do. I appreciate that. It's That was intentional. I mean, it's I'm not going to pretend like, oh, I stumbled into this. No, it's that. And I think it also goes to my background as a writer is to be conscious of the audience. What does the audience want? Because to me with painting, it's not even so much about what I produce. It's the process of doing it that I find enjoyable. And that's why it's not painful for me to, to let go of my art. Cause there are other artists and they, they can't even comprehend, you know, selling a piece of their work. But for me, it's since I, I, I like, you know, creating and, and getting these things out there, it's, um, I, I have consistently thought, you know, well, what are people going to want to see? And well, it's St. Louis, duh. It's like <laughs> Cardinals or toasted ravioli, you know? So it's like, I'll go with the Cardinals. Um, and, uh, and so painting, you know, the, the sports icons here, Wainwright and Ozzy and Kurt Warner and, and those people, you know, that's, that, that's been intentional on my part. And the pop culture, pop culture is something that I'm, I'm looking here. I see your, your book in front of me and it's an amazing Superman piece and yeah. who doesn't like, I mean, everyone knows a Superman, whether they're a super fan or not, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an iconic image. So it's really cool. Really cool. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, and that's the reason that that's on the cover of my book is Superman, this particular one of Chris Reeve flying at the camera. It's, that's my favorite. I mean, he, uh, he is the iconic Superman and you know, with pop art, I, I try to do things that, 
it, it's not, you know, I said earlier that it's been intentional for me to do sports art. And it's not that I'm manufacturing my my love of sports, and you know that's absolutely there. It's a part of it. Before you know, we sat down to talk. We, you and I, were talking about the the big news of the day, which is Jason Hayward goes to the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which <laughs> is that painful for you? You know, not so much. I mean, he's. Uh, I thought he did good. I, I thought he'd be a nice addition to the team, but mm-hmm. I don't think. And he's above average, and he probably has a lot more potential. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, as far as we have a lot of those guys, a lot of young guys in the outfield mm-hmm. with kind of that same caliber that are still growing, so they're going to make mistakes. But I, I think, you know, maybe we maybe that's a, a good sign to get somebody, you know, get a hot bat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it could be a good thing. But just mm-hmm. like like we had said when we lost pool holes, everybody said, oh, the Cardinals are done. They don't have pool holes. And then look at what they've done, their chemistry and everything else. So, yeah, it's too bad because, uh, you know, it seems like from what you told me, they made the Cardinals made a good offer. But most, you know, yeah. people may not, not agree and, and again, it's happy all, with the, them all. The story's like minutes old, so yeah. I, I don't know how accurate the information is, but supposedly he signed with the Cubs for less money, which uh-huh. – <clears throat> All right, so in the interest of full disclosure, I don't think that I've actually gone on record as saying this. Now, my close friends and family know this, but and, and I'm sorry, St. Louis, but I grew up a Cubs fan, um, and that was the product of <laughs> – all right, so i, I got to go back. So in 85, that's when I really started to get into sports. And in 1985, who are you going to follow? The Chicago freaking Bears. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know – in. And, you know, I picked my favorite sports team at that time, which probably most 10 year olds, you know, our level of discernment, it's like, well, which football team has the best rap video? So it's like, so, uh, and, you know, and I love the fridge. You know, that's why I picked my number later on in high school. I was number 72. But anyway, but, you know, started following the Bears in 85 and then uh, made some friends in junior high and they were really into baseball. And it's like, oh, well, I want to be into baseball too because that's what you do. And they they loved the Oakland A's at the time with the Bash Brothers, with McGuire and Kinsenko, you know, who were not taking any drugs whatsoever at the time. <laughs> um, and uh, they loved the A's, and my other buddy, he loved the Phillies and the Yankees. And I'm like, well, shit, I need a team. And, well, I'm a Bears fan. I'm always watching WGN for the updates. So, And I had also become a Bulls fan, and, you know, in that time for the same reason. Well, I'll pick the Cubs, you know, because, I mean, that's – you know, WGN and the Cubs. That's how that came about. And, you know, and followed them in 89. And that happened to be the year when they had a, a really good team and they won the division that year. And, but then if you chart my relationship with baseball, it has like different crests and valleys and that there are times when I really love it. And there are times when it's absolutely broken my heart, you know, and 89 loved it. But then my heart was broken with the strike. Got back into mm-hmm. it with McGuire and Sosa's big race. Oh, everybody know, did. That's yeah. that was the recoup from the strike because yes. everybody was so mad about baseball, and then that mm-hmm. was like, whoa, look at this, and mm-hmm. and that camaraderie with them, different yeah. teams, the, the challenge of it all. And I, I was working at the stadium at the time, so mm-hmm. I was around it. Oh, and then my awesome. friends at the Cardinal Magazine did a great job with covering it, and then mm-hmm. it was just really, yeah. really cool. Although I did. My dedication to to school. I had a class on the night he hit uh, sixty two, mm-hmm. and I could have skipped class and worked and been down there and all that. But mm-hmm. it was it was more dedicated to my education. But uh, yeah, it was it was a magic time. It it was, and man, it was just you know. And we all bought into it. We wanted to. We needed to. We all you know. Even though it's like we're looking at these hulking figures smash these home runs, you know, we didn't. You know, it was like we knew. 
but we didn't want to you know have that conversation yet about how juice these guys actually were at the time um but then you know when the truth started to come out and bleed out and you had all these other heroes that were falling from you know their pedestals with clemens and i don't know about bonds i never liked bonds he's always been yeah a, he's always been kind of a dickhead definitely but, definitely um there's our there's our first explicit <laughs> right on i think i said shit earlier oh so did you i, th- I, I think, think you get away I with shit. shit i think Can itunes we? i don't know i mean oh. what's a podcast so as, as long as we let people know it's, okay yeah. and we're all grown-ups and yeah and i've seen studies I'm fully read them, but on Facebook, I see studies that people that curse are a little more balanced than others that don't. So I'm, I am so fucking balanced. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it as well. <laughs> and I'm gonna go with being balanced. I'm not gonna say it at this point. I'm just gonna wait till it comes natural. Um, I don't need to curse right now just to do it, just to keep up with you, my man. You fucking pussy. Bastard. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> there we go. Um, where were we talking? Oh, so and then so when we kind of got the truth about these guys and the athletes started to fall from grace. It's like that, you know, again, that took the wind out of my sails and that hardened my heart towards baseball. And then I moved to St. Louis and this was in 04. And where'd you move from to give the audience a little background? Yeah. So, uh, grew up in Hope, Arkansas, uh, home of, uh, watermelons and Bill Clinton. Um, and then spent some time in central Arkansas and then new Orleans, then Northern Louisiana and then St. Louis. So I've kind of bounced around in this, in Memo, the man on the map, as they teach in geography class. Um, but uh, in coming back to St. Louis, it, I was amazed at the rabid fan base of baseball. I've never, I'd never been around anything like it um, before coming here, and and I would casually follow. I mean, it's hard to not you know, get some of that Cardinals love on you when you're, when you're living here, you know, cause you're, it's just so saturated in the area. And then I, I would, you know, casually follow and then really follow in the postseason, you know, because then there's only one game on TV um, because also 162 games. It's way too long of a season. <laughs> it's long. Definitely. Um, but, uh, but following the postseason, and it's not like I was a fair weather fan. It's like, no, I, because of the friends and the people that the connection I made in St. Louis, it's like in, in knowing and loving these people, well, they want the cards to win. They're happier when the cards win. So it's like the people that you love, you want, you know, you want good things to happen for them. And so it's like, I, I became a Cardinals fan by proxy. And it wasn't a problem because, you know, the Cubs have, conti- they've consistently sucked and, you know, been disappointing. Um, and so it's like, I also never really got the rivalry part of it because for a rivalry to really happen, don't two teams have to be decent at all? You know, it's like, and the Cardinals have just dominated the Cubs. Well, I think it's a St. Louis Chicago thing and everybody, you know, and I don't know what the the deal with that is, but uh, you know, I've never, I I had friends back in the day growing up in in high school and whatnot. um, Some of my neighbors and it's like, you know, have Chicago, this Mm -hmm. and that, blah, blah. It's a great city (laughs) and I never got it, but it's that sports team rivalry. So I I don't know if maybe that came from the football Cardinals and the Bears or if it's always been i mean you know we had the lou brock ernie brolio trade back mm-hmm, in the day so right. that was but but you would think with a rivalry why why are you trading between that rivalry so it was a little different time yeah, a friend of mine um or a guy that i came to know as a friend after i moved to st louis i asked him the same thing i'm like why do you hate the cubs so much they suck you know and and he said that it boils down to a cultural envy. This is his viewpoint. This is not I me. I'm just going to put this out that, there. Yeah. But it's that 
St. Louis has is essentially a little brother to Chicago, culturally speaking. Yeah, you know, in terms of like a major metro area and industry and in and uh, and culture and you know, um, we'll just say a number of different ways. And there's a certain jealousy that comes about. And so here's one area where St. Louis is clearly superior in. And so, yeah, we're going to take out all of our frustrations in that way. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. I, I love St. Louis. I think St. Louis is fantastic. I've never even been to Chicago. I, I feel We should go sometime. I, totes. I, there's some people I want to interview up there as well, and it's a lot of friends. It's a fun city. So, yeah, let's plan a trip. I'd love to. I, I It's funny because it's – I you know, and I, I felt like that a part of me – lived in Chicago uh, from when I was 10 because not only was that when the Bears came around but that's also around the time when all the John Hughes movies were hitting and so yeah. to see this world I mean Ferris Bueller is just a big love letter to the city of Chicago mm-hmm. and to see this world that existed that was so different than my own upbringing in Hope Arkansas a small town you know southern you know upbringing um it's like, wow, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to go to that. I want to, you know, I, I want to be around that. And so it, it kind of became a, um, like a, a cultural Shangri-La to me in my head, I think, at that point. And I see that. And, and I think there's a, there is a lot of great things about St. Louis. There's a lot of gems. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at something as simple as the Butterfly House in Falls yes. Park, that's something not a lot of people mm-hmm. know about. That's just, it's a beautiful place. Or Forest Park, period. Oh, Forest Park is amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and there's so many little little things within Forest Park mm-hmm. and, and things that you, you have to explore. So you could explore that a while. And yeah. it's just, and, and, and it's, it's, there's a lot of little gems in St. Louis. But I think, I think that cultural aspect, and that's something with myself when, I mean, in filmmaking and whatnot, and and just not, I guess, having the appreciation of art Mm -hmm. that a city like Chicago may have. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do with the podcast is just put more things out there. And I know a lot of people, and and that's what's cool with social media, Mm -hmm. is you have more of an audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I realize you only get so far with social media, so at some point it's finding someone who is into pop culture or baseball right. and then sending directly to say, Hey, here's, here's a buddy of mine, listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then, or here's a couple images, look at this site and being a little more proactive with it all. Yeah. And I think that my stuff and what I've done, it straddles a really interesting line with art, the creative process and marketing and promotion and that, I'm, I'm a pretty good artist, but I'm really good at marketing. There are so many other artists in the St. Louis area that are much more talented at art than I am, but I'm really good at um, getting plugged into different places and uh, working with different people that have helped me have the level of success that I have had so far in such a very short period of time. And that's that's tough to do because art is, and I find the same thing with filmmaking. When I'm editing a project, it, it's very isolated. Pre-production is very isolated. Yeah. You know where you have to be in your head, mm-hmm. and it's finding that balance where you are interacting with people, where you are making the connections mm-hmm. to help elevate yourself and and to monetize that. And mm-hmm. I think you've done good. In fact, when just hanging out with mutual friends and. Uh, WrestleMania, one example, mm-hmm. you're sitting there painting. So mm-hmm. you're in a social setting, throwing mm-hmm. out 
funny comments and you know mm-hmm. part of the part of the group but you're also creating something and it's amazing because everyone's looking at what you're doing i was amazed i'm thinking oh, <laughs> damn it i wish i could do that too uh, my stuff is i'm going to sit behind a computer and it's i'm not going to go to wrestlemania and start editing a video <laughs> so it's like i'm a little envious yeah it's um it's definitely a different animal in that sense and i think that's one of the things that i've really realized in the last few years of my life because I've always had solitary pursuits. I've always liked to write. I've always liked um, just to do things that really don't involve a lot of other people. And what I've come to learn in the last few years is how important being with other people and, and being social and relying on your support group of friends, how important that truly is. Yeah, it's so important, and and that's where I think a, a lot of artists, it it's just hard to carry it over to that that social aspect, or they do it within the same circles. True, and it's within that little, um, or not little, but it's within a closed circuit. It's within the art world, and that you know what's funny, I'm not in any galleries in St. Louis. I'm in the Mindworks Gallery, but it's a co-op. You know, I'm paying by the month to be gotcha. in there, so it's. You know, it's a, it's a place where I can tell people to go, but I'm not, you know, I'm not in, uh, well, I won't list all the galleries that I'm not in, <laughs> but <laughs> any gallery that there is, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I, I don't have that presence yet. And, and I've talked about it with a, a friend of mine to get her advice. I'm like, what do I need to do to get into them? And she said, Stephen, you don't have to. This, the gallery part of it, that's actually what some artists do in order to get to where I am already. So she's like, what you're doing is really bizarre and that you've leapfrogged that. It's if we look at, we'll look at the Doobie Brothers song, taking it to the streets. That's what you're, yeah. Michael McDonald, I love taking it to the <laughs> But no, you're, you're, that's what you're doing. You're taking it to the people versus mm-hmm. having the people come to the gallery. And, and that's one, we get back to that where people in St. Louis, I mean, the general public don't go to galleries, mm-hmm. but they do go to charity events. And that's a big thing that I think that's, that's one of the strengths of St. Louis, St. Louis, Warts and all. Here we go. Very charitable. So people do have that that mindset, and especially when it comes to baseball and getting some memorabilia mm-hmm. and being a part of that. So, I mean, I think you did the you made the right move with that. It's worked for me. It's keeping me really busy. So I'm just I'm just gonna keep you know going with that energy as long as it works. Heck yeah, and it seems to be working pretty well. So if you didn't know, an artist spends a lot of time in front of a canvas, and Stephen Walden spent many hours working on his art and working on social media to build the name he has for himself. And and he's not stopping anytime soon, you know, bending down to look at a cell phone for those of us who work through a phone, pretty much we all do now. It's, it's not really good for the neck and spine. Prevention is best, but that's not always the case. If you're having neck and or back pains and don't know who to turn to, then look no further than Dr. Mark Holland and his colleagues at first capital chiropractic. Whether it's Dr. Holland helping you in North St. Louis County or Dr. G in St. Charles or Dr. Howard downtown or any one of the other docs, including the Wildwood location, you have someone who cares about your health. Our spine is very important to health, and the doctors at First Capital are there for you. Check out their website, chironrehab.com, or call 636-946-7777. I'm very fortunate to have a plethora of friends who are artists, such as Stephen, and I take advantage of every opportunity to use the word plethora. 
Steven is creating amazing work with paint, and Kevin Blumenkamp is doing the same with metal. Whether it's a custom piece of furniture he's fabricating or a beautiful necklace for Valentine's Day, hint, hint, uh, I, I know. We just finished Christmas, but uh, with a custom piece, you have to start early. And he wants to spend the proper amount of time creating something unique for your loved one. Maybe you want to start thinking about something for next Christmas, or, or maybe you're thinking about tying the knot and require that one-of-a-kind ring. Kevin Blumenkamp is your guy. As his work is custom, he doesn't carry inventory, and he hasn't felt the need to put a website together, but is very happy to speak with you any time to come up with something really amazing. Give him a call at 314-346-6498 and see how he can bring your ideas to life. So now you so you recently completed your master's degree. Was that last year? Was that was that? in August. Also, it was August of this mm-hmm. year, 2015. Yeah. And then are you, are you pursuing that endeavor, or you were... <laughs> I'm not. I would love to, <laughs> but I don't have time to. Yeah. I'm I'm so busy painting right now, which is so weird. Well, for one, that I go through this master's program and I spend nearly $100,000 to get a master's degree in professional counseling only to find out, hey, I'm an artist. So, <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. Um, but as much as I would love to, I, I just simply don't have the time. I was uh, an intern at a substance abuse counseling facility, and I absolutely love my time there and helping other people. Um, it was it was hard work, and it was emotional work, but it felt like that I was making a difference. And that was a big reason why, you know, before I went back to Webster, or where I went to Webster to pursue my master's in counseling, why I quit my previous job as a copywriter. I didn't feel like I was making a difference in the world. I wasn't helping people. I was just helping sell HP printers, you know, at Best Buy. It's like, who the fuck cares, you know, other than HP and Unless Best it's Buy. a principle of your art, then uh, it's... Right, exactly. <laughs> that, that's going to be Epson, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, I haven't had time to do that. And that's a big reason also why I wanted to partner with charities, because it fills that bucket of helping other people. Because, you know, going through my own therapy, uh, personal therapy, which I started going to see a therapist, I think, in maybe 07 or 08, uh, because of just a general malaise that I was feeling at my own job. Of like, you know, what does it matter? You know, I don't, I didn't feel like that was making a difference. I would say midlife crisis, you know, when I was going at 35, but I hope that my midlife is not 35. I hope so as well. <laughs> um, For but, both of us. You know, right? So, but I was just feeling that malaise of, you know, what does it matter? What, why, why should I, what felt really imbalanced was here I am spending 40 hours a week at this job. And that was just such a huge chunk of my life, of my waking hours. And it felt unfair in a way that I was spending so much time really only to pay bills. And it just, it, it was sucking me dry and going through therapy my therapist was able to help me articulate that, you know, there are things that I knew that I needed in my job or my life pursuit that I wasn't getting at my job um, as a copywriter, which I needed to feel like that I mattered. I needed to feel like that I was making a difference. I needed to feel important. Um, I needed to be challenged. And and I wasn't getting those things um, in in the deep, soulful ways. There were moments, there were flashes of it, but not in any consistent way. And so, you know, going forward with art, it's that, you know, it can be very easy, like we were talking about, to shut yourself in a closet and just paint. And then all you're doing is just you're painting stuff or you're creating art and nobody ever sees it. 
and that's what's been so, so rewarding is that I am creating work and I'm partnering with, you know, for instance, Wainwright or Rankin Jordan. And I, it's, I see the children that, you know, that it's helping heal. I'm seeing, uh, with the Kyle McClellan's Brace for Impact 46 charity, I'm seeing, uh, you know, the, the orphanage in Haiti that it's helping fund, you know, so it's that I, it's like, oh, I'm finally making a difference in the world in a, uh, a meaningful, visible way. Yeah. And I, I've uh, recently, I, I took some photos. Uh, there's a, a group called, uh, Earth Dance. It's mm-hmm. a, it's an organic farm in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Great people, very passionate. They have, um, they have a program where they're teaching, teaching kids. You can sign up or anybody. So you and I could sign up to learn organic farming. So mm-hmm. they have a program you go through. It's like a summer internship. Uh, they have scholarships, which was at their farmer's formal. They were raising money for that. Mm-hmm. And so I had met them on a location scout for an NFL commercial. Mm-hmm. And they had asked, oh, hey, we, we don't have a, a photographer there, maybe an additional one or whatnot. And so I said, yeah, let me, if my schedule's free, I'll come out and take some photos. And I was really really jazz and it was just taking photos of people it was you know I, I was creative with it there's only so much creativity you can be but just in composition and whatnot but it felt so good I was so charged mm-hmm. coming back to edit the photos it, mm-hmm. it didn't take me that long you know I've gotten finally gotten that fairly streamlined and it was and they're so appreciative mm-hmm. and it's going back to I kind of had a similar situation with freelancing where it was not working with the right people Mm-hmm. or working with a company that I really didn't believe in or just, there, you know, a lot of little pieces in there. And I just felt a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. and I kept thinking, well, once I get, once I get some school loans and some debt paid off, then I'll start looking for a different career because I just mm-hmm. didn't feel like I was, I was doing what I, you know, what I was passionate about, even though I was in the field I was passionate about subject matter played a lot into that so Mm -hmm. so then when I went to where I wasn't working there and I had one of my best years with the people I was working with and then I was back to kind of square one but creating some projects that I really felt passionate about and it was like I love doing this and then I spent all my time doing it and it's and so it's kind of weird where you you have that formula of things that that aren't quite working and and I think that's what you were dealing with then Mm -hmm. and then now you have have the thing that you're most passionate about and it's just really flowing. Yeah, I recently read a book, uh, which is really just a collection of blog posts by Mark Cuban. Um, I, I love Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's on Shark Tank. Interesting guy, he's done, yeah. a, done a lot. Yeah, he, he keeps it real. You know, he doesn't really bullshit. He he, he tells you what he's thinking. Keeping it 100 if you, if you watch Larry <laughs> Wilmore. <laughs> there it is. Um, and he, in this book, one of the points that he makes is, when you're figuring out what it is that you want to do, be willing to live like a college student. Be willing to live like a student is what he says. If you are in a job and the primary reason is for money, then you're probably not going to be happy. I think there are some people that can be that way, but what happens, and and I saw this at my previous job, is that people get locked into a career and then they start taking on these other things. They get married, they have children, they buy a big house, you know, with the house payment. And all of a sudden they're locked in to this career that they have to maintain. It's almost like an addiction in a way, because if they stop taking this drug, if they stop going to this job, they're going to get dope sick. They're going to, their bills are going to come due. And it's like, 
right now, yes, I live in a total shithole and it smells like cat piss, but you know what? It allows me to live in the way that I want to live right now while I'm building this career and I'm moving towards something else. It's like, I don't want an expensive house payment right now. And, and I'm okay with living in, you know, living in squalor, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a messy motherfucker. So, you know, it's like, and I'm okay with that. And in that book, it's, it's actually, it's one of the things that it gave me permission to feel that way and realizing that all these other things that I can get so stressed about and that, Oh, I don't have the job that I want. I don't have the relationship that I want right now. Anything, those things right now, they would take away from my singular focus, which really needs to be on my work. And that's, that's, that's where it is. And and it feels, it feels good and right to, to be in this place. Nice. And I wish we would have had this conversation 15 years ago. (laughs) And one of those things, paying for college myself, I went in the military to help with that. Then just loans. And while I was at college, I was really focused on classes. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, student life, things of that nature. So I was I was working part time. Mm-hmm. I could have probably worked more. So I had a lot of debt, paid that off. And, and, and I think having that debt definitely restricted some choices. Mm-hmm. And I look back and, and, oh, maybe had I not had that, would I have done an internship somewhere? Mm-hmm. May, I mean, we can't go looking back and thinking of that because i i've done it i drive myself crazy so this is almost hmm. a little bit of a therapy session as yeah, well that's okay but, I'm a therapist but looking <laughs> at looking at all that and not saying well what do i really love what do i love to do and can i do without you know a fancy car or a house or whatnot what is going to allow me to do it or, or maybe what is the balance of the two mm-hmm. um and it's just it's difficult in st louis you know i look at traveling and, and doing those things even though there's a lot of things i love about st louis i'm still trying to figure out what's what's the best for my career but how do i how do i balance this out and how can i transcend that mm-hmm. and still get a little of what what i want here with with family and yet have my career mm-hmm. so it's in in getting a house is is one of those things where it's it's nice but yeah you are are restricted so mm-hmm. it's just kind of figuring out what what you really want i i think i figured out what i really wanted and that i was super passionate and and really want to make this stuff happen after i bought a house so it's mm-hmm. kind of figuring out how to how to make it all work or just saying hey all right now it's time to move on and right. i'll i'll go live in squalor and whatnot yeah, yeah. <laughs> i uh when I was considering enrolling into Webster's counseling program, I was getting a checkup at my, my doctor or I don't know, maybe I was sick or something. And, and I just told him, you know, we're just kind of doing a check and like, Hey, what's going on with you? And I just said, I'm really weighing if I should go back to school. And he said, it's never too late to change your career. And that was another one of those things that gave me permission to, to think in this way that, yeah, it's because the job where I was, it was, it was leaving me dry. It, it, I was, it was paying bills, but I was paying the price of being in that job and not getting fulfillment out of it. And that's, that's just me. I'm not saying that this is what it should be for all people. And I'm not saying that it's bad if you are in a job and you know, and you like, you know, your primary reason is for money. If that works for you, that's great. And, or if you're and, passionate and that. for that job and it's nine to five and you, you mm-hmm. go in every day and with a smile and yeah. that's great. I wish that you, sometimes I, I wish that was me. It'd be yeah. more secure, but I, I don't know. I think I'm just a, a bit of a compulsive gambler because <laughs> I keep, you know, saying, all right, this is going to be something big. And, and mm. I do, and I'm, I'm getting to the point where I definitely, I'm enjoying the process. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, 
sitting down in my in my studio space all day and all night is not so bad anymore. But yeah. if I'm balancing it out and I'm getting out there, I mean, sometimes I, I go out because I, I think I want that social interaction, but then I really just want to come back and work mm-hmm. on some things. So it's, it's finding that balance. But um, yeah, no, I, I think people just have to live their passion. And it's I think it's a tough thing in our society where a lot of times people will stay in a job because they need the health insurance and, and to leave mm-hmm. that. And when they have a family and whatnot, it, it kind of doesn't allow for options and yeah. then they're miserable in a job and then their health winds up deteriorating because, mm-hmm. because it weighs heavy on them. And it's just, there's no joy in their life. And it's just, I'm doing this cause I have to have the money and the health yep. insurance. And then, and then that's when illness kicks in. Yeah. So that's a, a deeper subject, but, right. um, but no, but, it, yeah. but it's the same thematically it's the same thing in that you become beholden to the job more than to yourself yeah and i can do that if i i'm believing in the job and i'm believing in the work and where i worked before i went back to school i was just very aware that where i worked it it wasn't a place that made anything i didn't see how we were making the world a better place i felt i felt like we were selling stuff but in that to me, that was also this disconnect of what am I doing? You know, what what does it matter? I felt interchangeable. I felt replaceable. And and that's why I needed to change things. And here you are. So we're talking about <laughs> art now. And <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and we were talking earlier about uh, my intention and how I pick some things for sports and because of the audience and knowing that and uh, and Superman and some things, yes, I, I do for an audience's in mind and some things they just come about as happy accidents in that, like, for instance, tonight at Art Bar in St. Louis and Cherokee Street, it's December 11th, by the way, or yeah, it's today the 11th, December 11th is when we're recording. Uh, good question. I think it is. Okay. Yeah. So tonight uh, it's a Star Wars art exhibit that's going on. It's a week before The Force Awakens. So, uh, and I've got, you know, a couple of pieces down there that are going to be uh, on exhibit. And I think, you know, for the next month or so, depending on when this is posted. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, but, you know, it's like that's that's another one of the things that it's like I, I also, I get to paint for me and things that, that I like. And yes, not to say that I, the other things that I painted that I haven't liked, but sometimes uh, painting things come out of uh, whimsy and because, oh, I wonder what that would look like or that would look cool and I want to see how that looks on my canvas. And sometimes it's, we do things within, David Carson, who, I'm not sure how these episodes will fall into place, Mm -hmm. but he mentioned that. He said even on his worst day, he's still making photographs. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that he looks at that and says, wow, I mean, I, I'm really blessed to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, not his words exactly, but that's the vibe Mm -hmm. of it that even on days when he's not creating the most interesting thing, he's still creating and he's still a photographer. He's still living his passion. So sometimes to pay the bills, we all have to do that, but it's, it's how our mindset, how we, how we look into it. You know, I've, found myself trying saying to people instead of having a good day i like to say make it a great day Mm -hmm. and then that gets me to realize i'm not just going to sit back and let it happen although sometimes it's good and that's that if we put that effort out there then the things that happen that's the energy we're putting out so by me saying make it a great day it's kind of like i'm developing that mindset or that energy so then those things will happen 
Right. But I'm going into it with with that energy, so then I'll I'll allow it to do so, and not thinking like, and I get down at times, and like, oh, aren't these good things happening for me, and blah blah blah, and I just have to change that mindset because that's when I start blocking that energy, and then nothing nothing good comes out of it. Well, what I hear you saying is, uh, it's something about taking charge of it, of owning it. And, and realizing that I get to choose what I'm doing with my day. I get to choose with what I'm doing with my actions. And it's not just where life is happening to me. And I do think that we are conditioned in that way, you know, because of our jobs, because of our bills that we have to pay, and because of all the other stressors that are going on in our lives, we think that there are things that are happening to us. And yes, I think that there are some things that are unavoidable, but by and large, we don't realize how much power we have surrendered to these other forces when, yeah, just like my doctor said, it's never too late to change your careers. It's like, it's never too late to take, you know, to stand up and and take a stand and, and to say that, I do get to choose something and how I live differently. And that's actually been a pattern for me in my life. When I see something that's not going right, it flies in the face of convention. If it's quitting a job, if it's walking away from a relationship that I know is not good for me, in spite of the shit that's going to exist on the other side of that, you know, if it's being unemployed or if it's going through, you know, nights of loneliness of, you know, and, and feeling despair and, and great loss, I would rather feel real loss than try to fake like I'm happy and that's that's what I what I think a lot of my life has been recently I think that's why another reason why I'm getting so much more fulfillment out of art is I feel like I'm being more authentically me than I ever have been in my entire life I'm reminded of what someone told me is they said that um, and I think they probably even borrowed this quote from someone else is that I spent the first 40 years of my life trying to figure out who I was and the next 40 living that and that's, that's what I feel like. And I, I've heard that before, similar things. Yeah. I, I think you need to develop, and, and then you figure that out, and then you really you know, just open your wings and fly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I'm the same way, because I, I turned 40 recently, mm-hmm. and it's now I feel like I'm really starting to live. I'm, I'm trying not to think too much about things, and I'm just going out there. I, I mean, one thing... I wish in the past I would have traveled a little more. And a lot mm-hmm. of times if I didn't have someone else to travel with, I'd have a little bit of anxiety Yeah, and, and I wouldn't do it. I'd hold back. So recently, and, and it was a good exercise in this as well as something great to I have the screenplay that I'm writing. It's called the dragon within, mm-hmm. you know, we can talk the details of that at some other point, mm-hmm. but I entered it in there, you know, this is one of these nights, late nights, kind of like, Oh, let me send it there and see, mm-hmm. I can get a little feedback and whatnot. And so it went to the second round, which was in the top 15%. And at first I was like, yeah, that's yeah, it's probably not that big of a deal. And then I thought, well, you know what? That's, that's kind of cool. So let me go down there and check this out. And I had a little bit of hesitation where I'm not going to, you know, there's nobody I know that's going to be down there. And I just stopped thinking, just, you know, just, just knew I was going to go down there. I waited to see if freelance one of those things I had to work around work, but it it worked out very well. I used to said work like five times in a row. It's kind of mm-hmm. but I went down there and the energy that I had was so positive and the people I met and mm-hmm. I really just you know I went out of my way just to um, just to chat with people. So at one point mm-hmm. I had to kind of open up, but then once I did, it was I would make eye contact with someone and just go talk to them and mm-hmm. these these one. One group of people said, "Wow, you're the first person just come up and and talk to us." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Really? Okay, well, 
fantastic. And we had a great <laughs> conversation about their work, my work, and I just, I was on fire. Isn't it and funny it, how that it happens? It felt so good, man. It felt so good. You know, and you reminded me of something that, uh, from my days as a substance abuse counseling intern, is that, you know, one of the the drawings we would throw on the whiteboard in group therapy is, you know, this image of a tree and how in the shade, that's your comfort zone, you know. But the thing is that nothing grows in the shade. And so if you want to get out of, you know, this area, if you want to have if you want to have real change, if you want to grow, then you got to get out of the shade. You got to get out of your comfort zone, you know? And I think that's something that I have also been trying to consistently challenge myself with throughout my life and in varying degrees. Sometimes it works out and sometimes not. Definitely. And one of the things that helped me was, I don't know if you're familiar with, with something called emotional freedom technique. I don't think so. Yeah, so it's a, it's a form of, my, my father practices it, so it's something he got into, mm-hmm. and I moved out to L.A. I, I put this, I'm still trying to get my documentary going, and it's mm-hmm. part of this story. So I went out to L.A. After, after college, I was put on medication. Yeah. And uh, just my, my primary care physician, I, I went to him, and he's like, I don't have a lot of energy, and this and that. And the first thing he did was just here, and he gives me a, a Fexor. And it was one of those things now I just, and I encourage everybody, so this is a little PSA here, to get vitamin D levels checked. And mm-hmm. in wintertime, we're not getting sun. Uh, vitamin D is so important. Sunlight, I think it gives us like 30,000 IUs of vitamin D that our body produces mm-hmm. naturally. So this is wintertime. You know, I had just finished college. A lot of great friends there. It, it was that environment. It was a great environment for me. And then I was out into the real world. I didn't know which way to go. So so that was weighing heavy on me, you know, some family issues. And then the vitamin D thing. And then it, so I get on this medication. I don't feel it really helped that great. But then getting off that medication was, was just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So I went out to, went out to Los Angeles and it was like, okay, now I'm, I'm ready to, to make this happen, to take my career next step. And a little stressful, a little culture shock. And then that just triggered something. And when I was, as I'm coming down off this medication, it had changed my brain chemistry a bit. And it was just the worst anxiety ever and all Mm -hmm. these other side effects. And it was, I had, um, I was under supervision of my doctor. Right. I had said, I want to get off this medication. Okay, well, and, and his thing was, well, you probably have to take this for the rest of your life. And that that's him not knowing what this is, but no warning whatsoever on what this was going to do. And I thought it was really just me. I just, I'm, I'm in this situation where I couldn't think clearly. And then, then I came back and it was right. just the worst situation ever. The way I felt it was, yeah, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just one of those things and not really talking about it at that point and not knowing, but so, so I came back and my dad said, I'm doing this thing called EFT and, and it's just tapping on energy meridians. It's reciting some different things. Really cool. And that really helped me. So, so whether it's, it's doing the FT, also the talking, having someone to talk to and not holding it in. Mm-hmm. And that's what, uh, David Carson, who's a photojournalist that you've either heard or, or will be hearing kind of said the same thing. He talks to his colleagues and he doesn't hold it in. And I think that's the thing when you, when you hold it in, that's when we internalize and start self-destructing. Yeah. I think that, I mean, therein is the power of, of group therapy therein is the power of, of friends and that I as much as I wanted to believe for the longest time that I was good on my own 
you know, and that I could handle my own shit on my own. It wasn't until going to therapy and then relying on other people, you know, that I could count on that were dependable, accountable, reliable, trustworthy, those people in my life, that that things really started to change. And, you know, for some people in terms of medication, I've heard stories. It's it's such a, I don't want to say crapshoot, um, but you know, your mileage varies in that for some people it works, some people it doesn't. I'm not anti, you know, uh, uh, mental health medication in by any stretch of the imagination because there are so many people that it has helped, but there are some people that it's hurt. And so it's that, you know, uh, what's the line from AA they always uh, like to say is that take what you need, leave what you don't, you know? So it's like you've just got to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Definitely. And I, and I think, and I'm not, not anti either, but I think you have to look at what the source is and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's okay. This, this is what I need right now, but then go back and see about fixing the source and not just relying solely on the medication. And I, I just think when it's, when it comes to mental health medication that I don't think a primary care physician should just be handing it out like just w- without yes. talking to you without knowing and and that's so i'm i'm anti that yes um because somebody that, that knows how this works had had that happened i would have known and been prepared for that while i was coming off of it and when i did realize and it was my dad that helped me i was i was on a job in new orleans mm-hmm. and uh on a video job and i was just i was horrible i couldn't sleep a lot of anxiety this and that and i was just like just utter despair yeah. And I, I talked to him, and it's like he's asking, well, what are the symptoms? You have anxiety, cold sweats, diarrhea, blah, blah, blah. And he's naming it. I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, how, how do you know all this? And he's like, oh, I'm looking at the site for the withdrawal symptoms of Effexor. Yeah. And it, bing, a, a bell rang. And even though yeah. I was dealing with that, I knew this is something natural that's occurring. You know, my my chemistry is changing now that I'm not taking this. And I think it was still at a half dosage at that point. So I got through that phase. And then I went through the next phase of getting off that other dosage. And then I think it was another period where, where my, my mind adjusted. And now I feel my energy is so much better. And I'm, you know, not that I, 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 I have bad days, but I think, um, I think my highs are, are high and my lows aren't as low. I mean, it's, right. I, I feel a little more balanced. I do agree with what you said about, you know, having a primary care physician, you know, when they start tooling around and, uh, in uh, SSRIs and other medications like that, that's not necessarily their field of expertise. It can be dangerous. Um, and there are some that, you know, again, disclaimer that I'm sure they're fine at it, but the majority of the experience that I have seen is that when a primary care physician starts writing those prescriptions, it's to shut you the fuck up rather than it is to <laughs> heal you. It's I'm, They want to numb you out. And maybe that's because that's what our, again, what our society is, uh, is gravitated to. We want the quick fix, you know. I don't want to walk around in my pain and to actually open up the closets of grief and the shit that I've gone through that are making me unhappy. Give me some Xanax to take at the end of the night. That'll help me numb out to it. You know, it's like, no, it's, you know, uh, you, you have to walk around it. You have to own your shit. If you want to come out on the other side to be an authentically, uh, more well-rounded or a healthy person, um, I don't want to say better. It's better for me and, you know, and how I've owned my stuff, 
But, um, but again, it, I would rather do that than to be numb. And for some people, it's too much. They can't. And that's why they, they do Xanax or why they drink or why they gamble or why they, you know, mm-hmm. are, you know, they have compulsive sexual behavior or, or whatever it is. It, it's a way to distract themselves from that underlying pain. So getting back to, and so when we're looking at that, you were talking about art therapy. That was one of your classes. Yeah. And I know one of the gentlemen that I, I interviewed uh, for my documentary, who I'll probably put his interview on this podcast because I think his words are amazing, is Dr. Bernie Siegel. Mm-hmm. And he's done a lot of, with art. And he's found with art, he can have somebody draw a picture of yourself. And my, my dad mm-hmm. did this. I'll have to interview him about his experience uh, when he was going through cancer. And he took a workshop with Bernie. And it was, I think he was saying he drew himself without a face or something. Mm -hmm. So that's what was coming out of that. But when you look at something as far as a meditative practice, with your expertise, what you're doing now with your art and with with your master's degree, how important is art for someone to create? How important is that to, for our well-being and our mental well-being and our balance? For me, it's very important. I can only speak towards me. Um, for other people, where they get their therapy and, and where they get their peace, it can show up in different ways. For me, I can feel it if I haven't been able to create in a couple of days. You know, then it's like, oh, man, I just... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really unhappy. I feel, you know, out of balance. And so like to get that equilibrium, it's like, no, I need to sit in front of the canvases for a while and to create. And even though I'm new at painting, I've still always had that impulse. If it's been, um, with writing, you know, that was a big, uh, uh, therapeutic outlet for me in the past. Um, and if I, times when I've gravitated away from creating, it's, typically been when I've been using other things, not substances. I'm not addicted to any substance unless we count Popeye's chicken. Um, <laughs> uh, but doing other things that have uh, caused me to numb out yeah. to to what is really making me unhappy. Like what would that be? Television? Would it be, what are any examples you're willing to share? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think a big one, again, because it's so solitary, has been video games. And I, I, I don't play them anymore. That that factor with my nephew every now and then. Yeah, and I I still enjoy them. Um, I'm playing Fallout Four right now, which is badass. Yeah, but it's also trying to uh, to balance that with uh, all my artistic responsibilities and the commissions and things that I have uh, in the hopper right now. But I I think about one instance in particular is when I was uh, not in the happiest of places and I just gotten an Xbox and it was when I'd moved to St. Louis and it was just me in St. Louis and I'd gotten uh Bioware Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which, you know, if you're a nerd like I am, then it can be just completely immersive. But I, I played that game, you know, woke up, played it, you know, went to bed, went to the bathroom, you know, ordered pizza, but pretty much stuck with it. Uh, for the better part of a weekend. And then when it got to be Monday and I'm going to work, I'm like, what did I do with my weekend? You know, what do I have to show for it? And it just felt so, ugh, you know, and I'm not saying again that that's something, if you play video games for an entire weekend, it's a bad thing. You know, for me, it was a bad thing because I felt like it was a time sink and I know that I was doing it to, to numb out some shit that was going on in my life that it was it was either too difficult to articulate or I just wasn't ready to approach what was going on with me. And I get that too. I I was that way with video games and there's that instant gratification and there's, 
I don't know the science behind it, but it's doing something with our brain that we are achieving something. Mm-hmm. Like I, but back in the day, my big time waster. I, I don't know. I mean, at times, I, I think it was nice to escape. Mm-hmm. And as long as I didn't do it too much, but Civilization and yeah. that game, you start playing that, and the next thing you know, it's right. the sun's coming up, yeah. and holy cow! And, and I don't think that's necessarily bad, but it's keeping it in balance. Yeah, where I'm not doing that all the time, and right. where now I think somewhat, you know, my creative endeavors, I've gotten to that point where I'm flowing with those, where it's you know that is that is a relaxation point, that is an escape point. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm creating, so it's giving me that. And it's, yeah, I love it. And so so maybe I'm getting some of the things that I'm filling other parts of my life, being single and whatnot and not having a family with the creative endeavors. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe if I really looked into it, that could be something that is not um, 100% healthy as well. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's too deep to go into now for this discussion. Well, you know, and I was thinking about it and that, you know, yes, there are other goals that I wish that I had achieved by now that, that aren't in the near future. It's like, I would, I would love to have kids someday. And I was thinking about this on the way here, that as much as I would love to have children, if I had children right now, I would not be able to do what I'm doing. I would not, I would not have been able to quit my job and, you know, pursue that degree. And had that not happened, I might not have discovered that I was an artist and wouldn't be able to work alongside, you know, Adam Wainwright and Ozzy Smith and meet John Hamm and all these other cool experiences that I've been able to have in the last year. And to, again, to not focus on the, the green grass on the other side of the fence and like, oh man, if I only had this, but to just stop and appreciate what I have now and how I've been able to appreciate it. And I've, uh, you know, when people ask me, you know, what did you do with your day? And, and I tell them and how it's like, I'm not beholden to anyone's schedule, but my own in that, you know, like last night I was up until 3am, you know, painting and doing other things. And I didn't wake up until I got a call this morning about a new painting job, you know, a new, uh, uh, a potential partnership with another charity. And it's like, not everyone can do that. And, and I'm grateful for what that can, for the life that I can live right now. Is it going to be this way always? Probably not. I would hope not, especially if children are in my future, mm-hmm. but I, I am aware, like Ferris Bueller said, sometimes you just got to stop and smell the roses. Definitely. And and looking, living in the moment and looking at not what don't I have, but yes. what I do have. And, and I think as humans, and and I think with our society, we we have to have all these things. So yeah. it's I, I think we're we're trained from when we're or we're programmed when we're yeah. young kids and we're watching cartoons and there's these commercials for all these things we have to have. Yeah. But I think now that being that artist and knowing, hey, here's something that this is my life. Now that you're aware of that and you found it, I, I think taking that next step is. And I'm looking at this in my own life is finding that person that is receptive to that and then mm-hmm. crafting your life where your family is involved with your art and or or knowing enough that your kids are going to find what they want to do it may not be art but but having you as an influence is going to influence who they are right and uh i'm like a double word kind of guy you said double <laughs> words i need to get a thesaurus out but but having you in their life they'll be able to discover some things and having that foundation and i hope i'm in my niece and nephew's life i'm providing that where they see some of the things i'm doing and some of the things I introduce them to where they'll either that'll be something they discover or that'll be 
an element that that is part of their path yeah. and it may be something completely different than the the little things they're experiencing now or seeing you photography or, or filmmaking or my nephew's playing drums um you know i think it'll it's uh, something that he'll have that'll make him a better person down the line whether he becomes a therapist or a scientist or whatever right. he's had exposure to something that's a little different and and it's you know, helping to shape him who he is. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what this conversation is about now is, you know, what we're talking about, it's about legacy. Yeah. And that, yeah. You know, and they, and it makes sense why it would come up since we're talking about kids. But I also know for me now, let's suppose that I never have children. You know, I don't know. I've had too many hours near the microwave and <laughs> cell and phone I, and, in the and, pocket. And, and I've been rendered <laughs> sterile. Um, uh, let's say, adopt, I, let's say I have never kids and let's say I never adopt. Let's say I never make it through the process, whatever. Um, my art is my legacy. You know, it's the thing that I'm leaving behind in the world. And I, I don't know. I think there's also some truth to that's why some men choose to create is because we can't have kids. You know, we don't, or we, we don't carry children that these things become our children. And it's funny because one of the things that I tell customers, uh, when our clients, uh, whatever you want to call them, when, uh, when people, like collaborators, when people who buy my art, when they get it, one thing I always ask them, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, is say, could you please send me a picture when it's in your home? I would love to see, because I, and I've even said, I would love to see my children when, I like to see my children when they've been rehomed, you know? That's awesome. And, and some people have been kind enough to do that. And that's great because it's that, it's seen that, you know, this thing matters enough to them to have in their space and that I exist somewhere beyond the, the bounds of my own living room. And and I like that too. And maybe at times I feel like I'm not, I want to do it for just the joy of doing it or to help somebody out. I think mm-hmm. that this podcast is one of those things to put some different things out there, but I also maybe selfishly, or maybe it's just, I, I want feedback. Like, Hey, did you enjoy this conversation right. or what did you get from this? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I kind of want to know, especially for a video project where I may put a hundred hours into an edit. And, uh, it's just one of those things you want to know that, that maybe people receive something out yeah. of it. And I think with social media, I think social media is, is great in some regards, but in other regards, I'm putting these things out there and I feel sometimes kind of like lost where it's like, wow, I'm doing all this great work and nobody appreciates it. They shouldn't. So that's finding the joy within, which I am. But uh, at times, but then I'll go somewhere where I'll go to an event and I'll run into a lot of people I know and they're like, man, we're just really blown away by the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't get it in the social media. But then that aha moment where it's like, wow, you know, people are getting something out of this and mm-hmm. and I am doing good work and I am maybe making someone's life just a little bit better with something I've created. And that's, to me, that's the catch me out, man. That's just, uh, yeah. there's nothing better than that. I think um, to talk about social media is that I know that my career right now is so much the product of it. I would not be connected with the people that I'm connected with if it were not for social media. I know that it's, it's very easy for us to point to the ills and the bullshit that comes along with social media of, no, I don't give a shit about whatever you're, you know, you taking photos of your meals and, you know, posting on Facebook. I don't care if you had diarrhea today and you're updating your status <laughs> with that. I don't really care about your life in 140 characters or less. Yeah. There are those things that we can easily bitch about, but there are also some really great things um, that have come about for me. And the other thing to your point about, getting feedback from others. I know that as a creative, 
in in the way that I create, there's that exhibitionist streak in that I need to be seen and I need feedback from other people. And social media allows such an instant gratification of that that has never been available to us before. In that I think I could not have this career that I have now if, if it were 20 years ago. Because, okay, so I paint a picture of, you know, some contemporary athlete from 20 years ago, Andre Dawson. And Andre, the hawk. Yeah, Hell the yeah. hawk. So, yeah. like, so, like, if I do a hawk 20 years ago, I hang it in my room and nobody ever sees it, you know, unless I'm actually, you know, uh, going the old school routes and going to art shows and going to exhibitions, going to conventions, you know. But again, that's not delineating me from a fan and someone that does fan art. I don't want to do fan art, I want to do fine art, you know. Um, and so I think that there is for me in that way in getting that instant feedback that has really fulfilled a huge need of mine but then there's also the downside of it the dark side of it of you upload something it's like oh this has only gotten you know five likes where this other one it got you know 50 likes and and so you start competing against yourself in a way and so I, I need to figure out my own relationship with social media I got to figure out what that is and 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 how to balance that healthily yeah and I think you have to understand the algorithms because even though you put it out maybe not everybody sees it or the timing right. and it's it's putting it for anybody that's looking to do what you're doing with social media it's you have to put things out a lot yeah. and then other people have to you have to share it and and that's where i am with everything there's a um, amazing artist I, I know i've i've forwarded and shared some of your things and then this musician i know out of nashville um ben sturgill the, the guy I, his album is is incredible mm -hmm. so when i see him post something i'll share it and, and with me i don't want to just click share I want to say what I'm feeling about this work. Mm -hmm. And if it's a song, he has a song called Drive, which is, is oh, it's, it's incredible. His lyrics are incredible. The feeling I get when I hear it. And I want other people to experience that. Right. And so I, I'll interview him at some point, put his, uh, put his stuff out there, and, and other people can really experience that. But with social media, if I see a, something that you create, then, then just my personal MO and, and – not everybody has to do it. It helps. But I want to say something about it, and I want to put some energy into that post. And, and it can be simple as, as my buddy Steve, and he's kicking ass with this and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, and wow, I'm blown away. Just something as simple as that to how I'm feeling towards it. And that's that's how I kind of go towards, towards that. And then, of course, with the algorithm. Mm-hmm because I wrote something because I shared and, and people like and whatnot, then that helps put your post out to, to more things. So I think it is looking at that energy, that energy, if I'm in a room or right here talking about it, just how blown away I am by watching you paint mm -hmm. uh, a portrait. Uh, I don't know if it would be a portrait or a painting of this wrestler while watching mm -hmm. WrestleMania. I'm just mm -hmm. like, wow, <laughs> holy cow. I was there when this guy created that. And yeah. Holy cow. I mean, I wish I could do that, but I have my own thing, so cool. So I have to put that energy into that. Right, sure, sure. It's pretty amazing, man. It's uh, it's it's a it's a cool tool, and I think if we use it right, and uh, if we don't get too caught up and don't get too reactionary to different things, and that's the problem, is yeah. because what happens is I think that self worth gets tied up into those likes, and yeah. you know the likes that you get on Instagram or the favorites and the retweets that you get on Twitter. I think there's something you know. I don't know, existential about it of, you know, do I matter? You know, do, and if, if no one is around to validate me, then, then how that can 
you know, compound on itself and, you know, create that dark side of uh, a social media and how it does get so wired into self-worth. But it's also, it's what's helped me establish my career. So it's two-sided. It's a good tool. And I think we have to look at it as a tool. Yeah. And I'm getting this out. Some days are better than others as far as that, but then look at it when you're, you're at a charity event with Adam Wainwright right. or, or Kyle McLennan, and then you see the work that you're doing, knowing, putting in perspective that I wouldn't be here without that. So, so life is mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's just finding that within and, and just, just being aware that it is that tool and that, that it doesn't determine your worth. Right. I mean, it's all good stuff, man. So what uh, what's on the horizon as far as new pieces? Let's see. I just finished a commissioned Batman piece. Um, I've got a couple other things for Christmas because we're a couple weeks out from Christmas right now that I need to have knocked out. I'm working on another piece for Kyle McClellan, uh, which actually it won't be available until 2017 because of how he's shifting around his uh his charity schedule, but it's for Brace for Impact 46. I'm working on a David Freeze Game 6 home run trot with the words on it, we will see you tomorrow night, and we'll get David to autograph it. And nice. Get, and going to get Joe Buck to autograph it, too. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, so classic Cardinals moment. So the uh, the Adam and Yachty piece that I did for his fundraiser in October, that did really well. So uh, it was funny when he uh, he called me a few weeks later and said, hey, I've got this idea for the next one we're going to do. But it's not going to be till 2017. But he also wants to make sure that he can get it in David's hands so that David signs it, uh, you know, before. Because uh, he's a free agent right now. And oh, David Freeze is a free agent right now? I'm pretty sure he's a free agent. That's my yeah. nephew's favorite baseball player. His name is David as well. Dave, my nephew, David. And he said, my favorite baseball player is <laughs> David Freeze. So, uh yeah, it's cool, man. How kids look at that. He has my name. He's and David Freeze is a solid baseball player. Yeah. So it's uh, and he still says my nephew says my my favorite <laughs> baseball player is David Freeze, so, which yeah, is really it, cute. It's really cool because I actually I was able to meet David already at uh, through St. Louis Sports Co. at Chesterfield Mall. Uh, I partner with uh, Debbie Houston, one of the co-owners there, uh, ask her cause we had met at Kyle's event and said, Hey, you know, I did this Adam Yachty piece for Kyle and I've got these other things. I know that, uh, you have this store. It's a great store in Chesterfield mall, a lot of great gift items. If you need something for a Cardinals Rams blues fan or, and they've even got non-local athletes there with signed memorabilia and stuff cool. there too. But, um, I said, uh, you know, I would love to partner with you and I could offer my prints through your store or whatever. And so we, we talked about it and I knew that there was a David Freeze signing that was coming up, you know, just like in the next week or so. I said, well, what if I get a print, uh, get some prints there and have them available for people to see and they can see the 3D effect in person for themselves. And, um, and people want to buy these items because they also lay out the other uh uh, different kinds of merchandise that people can buy if they don't bring their own thing that they want David to sign at the signing then they can buy that and I said you know what if I just have a little table space there and and uh, we worked out a deal and she was good with that and um, Kyle had already spoken with David about the the big piece that uh, uh, they just I just mentioned about that we will see you tomorrow night and that actually uh, when someone came through and bought uh, one of my pieces she was like I want to, I want to get a picture with David. Maybe we can get him to come over here and get a picture with, uh, with the poster print or with the, the Hannah Bellish print that I had done. And, um, and she said that she'd gone up to him and, you know, there are people that, you know, when at these signings, they have handlers, you know, and that, 
they play the the bad cop, you know, and that for the fans that are, you know, a little bit too much of fans and <laughs> and, and not uh and, and re- completely marking out in wrestling terms. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so and she's she she was marking out and um she uh she said uh um you know, she was asking David if, if he would come over to where I was and get a picture taken with the artist. And, and he was like, Oh, I don't know about that. Because again, he signed like, you know, two, 300 things. And if he makes an exception for her, you know, but she did wait till to be like the last person Mm -hmm. to go. And, but then she mentioned, he's the one that's doing the comic Ellen piece. He said, Oh, okay. And he just came over and we got the picture together and it was great. Good energy again, man. Yeah. Good energy. Yeah. And he was super friendly, super complimentary towards the piece. Um, and, uh, just got a good vibe from him. So, yeah, I've, I've, uh, interacted with him a few times. One was working freelance at the, at the ballpark and then, um, just in some social settings with, different yeah i lost my train of thought but yeah a couple social settings at a party and whatnot and he was there and you know talked chatted with him briefly but you know didn't want to be a mark and completely right. if the conversation happens naturally it's it's great but otherwise mm-hmm. you know if anything feels forced you know then i i want to avoid that but uh yeah it seems like a pretty solid dude i think um and in and being around celebrities uh and we talked about it a little bit because you know david carson was here before me yeah and yeah. and we were talking about it uh before we got set up for this interview is that if you can talk to an athlete about things that aren't them in in their job yes then i think that you are so much better off because otherwise it kind of ends the conversation and that's even true with me when people say i love your work all i can say is thank you you know, whereas if they say, hey, did you see, you know, what do you think of the Star Wars movie or, yeah. you know, tell, you know, uh, I don't know, what do you think about Batman versus Superman coming out? You know, we can have a more extended conversation about that. It's maybe but, a little more genuine. Maybe there's not like you think there's this ulterior yeah, motive. Yeah. Like, oh, somebody just wants to know me because I am a baseball player or right. because I am this fantastic fabulous artist on the rise right you You know so yeah so it's it's like okay this one this person wants to know me for me not just my job so i can i can see that well for me it's like i just don't really have anything else to say i mean what am i going to say thank you tell me more about what you like about me you know so yeah Yeah, so maybe it feels a little selfish or like i don't like talking about myself in that manner i I think there's that and it's it's not at that point it's not really a conversation um whereas uh, you know, like, cause when I've, uh, been able to spend a little bit of time, like with Ozzy Smith, he and I talked about, um, Walter Payton, you know, cause Walter Payton's on my business card and I gave it to him. You're and- the best business card ever, man. <laughs> it's just like, it's a sports card of fans out there. We'll try to post that somewhere. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, the new, I say I've got, uh, a Walter, two Walters. I, the more recent one is Michael Jordan and I'm designing a baseball one right now because i've got some baseball events that are coming up that i can't really go into specifics right now since they're not official but i'm doing a one that's themed after 1987 tops baseball card with the wood paneling one of my favorite designs nice yeah i have a ton of those yeah so um but anyway but yeah talking to athletes in ways that aren't directly about them or like when i met john ham you know it's like oh what was it like you know in the second episode when you know you were at sterling cooper what was it like? <laughs> Mr. Mr. Dr- you know actually it's funny because when i met him in my head leading up to him like all right it's you know his name is john not don say john not don say john not don because it's like again you only know these people as the characters 
and then getting to meet him in person, it was, it was so funny because, uh, <laughs> and I love this. It's so disarming when a celebrity will do this. Is you know I'll stick out my hand, and say hi, Stephen Walden, and they and he stuck out his hand and he says hi, I'm John. I'm like, like I didn't know that. Yeah, Michael you know? McDonald did that with me. I was at a <laughs> conference and I and I wasn't you know I was like I'm not going to be. I didn't really know his work at the time uh-huh. and I wasn't going to be. Like, go up to this guy, oh, I'm Ken, you know? Uh-huh. And so I was kind of staying my distance, and right. he just, hey, uh, Michael McDonald. And then I talked to him, and he's like, yeah, I can tell you, you know, you're, you're from Missouri, that Missouri accent. <laughs> you know, he knew the yeah. company I was working That's with. Funny. But totally cool guy. Yeah. So I want to, hopefully I can interview him at one point and thank him. Great. He was, we're running out of time here, but he was, he did, did me such a kindness when we were transferring with film down in Nashville, and it's amazing guy. That's so cool. I just, I, I'm just forever grateful to 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 how cool he was to me just an amazing guy and a, an amazing iconic singer that's great that's great yeah uh, john ham he was cool um uh, and the, the the coda of that story is that when he stuck out his hand he said john i squinted at him and i said john and he laughed said ham you know so it, it was funny in that you know i played into that as well right was su- super kind guy yeah good stuff man so where can uh where can people listening go to find your work? You, web presence? I mean, we've yeah. talked of social media. So stevenwalden.com, S-T-E-V-E-N-W-A-L-D-E-N.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at Stephen Walden, or you can go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash stephenwaldenart, or just add me as a friend on Facebook. Uh, I think right now my profile picture is me actually with Don Draper. Um, and also on Instagram, username Stephen Walden. Try to keep it consistent and uh fairly active on all the social media uh, sites all the big ones and uh, if you want to see my work in person especially the 3d effect which you can really only see in person to fully appreciate go to the mineworks gallery in chesterfield mall it's in the macy's wing and just tell them hey i want to see the 3d art and they will point you in the right direction fantastic well thank you so much man this was uh i didn't expect the conversation to get as deep as it did but i'm glad because that's kind of part of what i'm going for with this but it's it's good that it was a natural occurrence and nothing was forced so it's it's, what happens when you bring in a therapist hey man it's great stuff (laughs) i i can't thank you enough and it's it's been amazing so hopefully we'll do a little panel thing at some point where we'll just talk baseball or something along those lines with some other other cool friends of mine and we'll love to get all these voices going so that'll be a future installment of conversations with calcaterra and friends that's where it'll be thanks steve thanks kim Dream